around and always sharing uh, so many insights. So that's why I decided to um, host this with her and it's, it's gonna be great. Yeah, so thanks for being here. And so we're gonna start recording now and I'm counting down uh, five, four, three, two, one. Yeah, so just want to let the audience know once again, um, hello, I'm Katie, I'm your Chat and Learn host um, here with Stacey to talk about authenticity and how to own your story. And um, yeah, so we're recording this. So just uh, want to let you know, just in case uh, you're on camera um, and don't want to be. And if you want to direct message me or Paloma some questions or comments, feel free to do so. Um, yeah, so I, yeah, if you're interested in launching your own um, office hour or chat and learn, you can find out more about, uh, contact us later and find out more about the, the ambassador program. And um, okay, so we definitely want to hear from you. If along the way, please feel free to interrupt and um, chime in and ask us a question or give us uh, additional comments along the way and just come on camera or unmute and, and let us know um, that you want to participate. Um, okay, so I think I'm going to move on to the next slide. So yeah, we're here to talk about because authenticity shouldn't be a buzzword, telling and owning your not so linear story with confidence with Stacey Talstein. And I've uh, covered a couple of these things and um, yeah, so we will send out the email with the link of this recording afterwards. So um, you, you can rewatch it again and um, in case you miss anything. And then always, if you found it helpful, please uh, share with your friends on your favorite platform. Um, we have this, the handle power to fly. And um, I'd love to introduce Stacy. She's CEO, co-founder of Stubborn Heart Consulting. She's had 10 years of coaching, training, leadership development, and she uses a heart, heart -driven, driven approach and coached more than 2,000 uh, professionals this year. So Stacey, would you like to talk a bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, first, thank you so much for having me, Katie. Uh, I cherish your thought partnership and was really excited to join today because this has been an interesting time for folks. Um, many of us are adapting and uh, showing up for ourselves, our families, our communities in new and unexpected ways. Uh, given the world and everything that has uh, been thrown our way this past year. And so um, really just thankful to be here to collaborate with everyone. Like Katie said, I have spent my entire professional life passionate about leadership development and uh, what it means for advancing our careers and our lives. Transparently, uh, the start of this journey for me was not professional. I would say it starts at a very young age where uh, it became abundantly clear to me that my parents didn't have access to the same resources. Growing up in Jamaica, Queens, um, neither of them were afforded the opportunity to go to college and really promoted the 
opportunities for my sister and myself uh, to be able to go out there and uh, grab hold of every resource that we could get our hands on. And so my professional journey is very much uh, an ode to them and what they have done to make it possible for my sister and I to, to do the things that we want to do and to pursue careers that we love and not just um, that pay the bills knowing that not everybody uh, gets that opportunity that paying the bills and rising to the stressors and the occasion to take care of other people is uniquely tied uh, to our job search experience, our professional career. And a lot of times we feel like our back is against the wall um, and we don't get to do what we love because we have responsibilities and we have things that we do for others. And so I wanna invite all of that to the conversation today um, that being ready to uh, do for ourselves and tackle the big challenges in front of us sometimes comes with um, pressure and challenges. And so holding in one hand that we're authentic and that we're wanting to be the best versions of us and that realistically, there's a lot of barriers to that. Um, and I want to own that and, and bring that into our conversation together today too. So that is the brief backstory on me. Um, and I, I hope to learn more about you as we go through together today. Yes, thank you for that. And so with this chat, we will identify key thematic learnings to summarize your own story, learn strategies for narrating your story with an authentic brand voice that is uniquely you, and learn skills for maintaining confidence in what you have to offer. And we'll jump right in. So how do you explain breaks after layoffs, the gaps in your work history, and what is the best way to express willingness to seek a lower position? Absolutely. So one of the most important features uh, in designing your narrative is to complement that with the resources that you're using. So if you're currently job seeking, the first thing I want to share is that our guidance counselors in high school meant well, but they were not in touch with where, you know, the job market would take us in the future. And so the idea of a static resume doesn't really serve us super well anymore. Um, and if you are like me sitting down to edit a resume, you're like, oh gosh, like how do I get this thing on one page? Like, how does this thing even represent me? This is really stressful. And so the first thing I'll say is we have to throw that whole paradigm out, right? Like, alone, Lisa, alone, please. Sorry. Sorry. Um, so this idea that we want to kind of forget about trying to edit and revise one resume that lives on forever and get in the mindset of customization where each role that we're going out for is a new choose your own adventure um, and that we can represent ourselves in the direction of that particular role. I know it sounds like a lot of work. Um, because customization is a lot of work, but it pays off dividends for us because it allows us to tell a narrative that is more in line with that specific story. So to get back to this question of how to explain breaks after a layoff, what we would do is craft your resume to showcase only the roles that are most pertinent for the role that you're going out for. So kind of have a list of everything you've done on one document and then this resume that we're building together for this particular role we're going out for, and we would pull over only the most relevant content, and that would likely cause gaps throughout, right? So there would be multiple gaps now because we're only choosing just the ones that are relevant for this position. And then 
embedding bullet points within the remaining entries to explain what was happening during those times. So for example, let's say I'm going out for a role right now and the last role I had really had nothing to do with what I'm going for. I'm like, oh gosh, like I'm trying to make this bold shift. I'm really trying to show up for this moment. I want them to understand that I have the core skills and I'm going to use the role I had before this one as my latest entry. And so I might use that at the top and then include a bullet point that says, and have since been freelancing, delivering content specific to A, B, and C that is reflected back from the job description that I'm going after. So it's a way to fill in gaps with only relevant content while still being transparent and honest about who you are professionally and what it is that you're up to. Uh, so it's maintaining a commitment to sequential order, but leveraging your bullet points strategically so that they're all showcasing transferable skills and highlighting any gaps transparently. So I recommend keeping it simple, embedding it within the entries and then being honest. So for those of you who mentioned that you took time off to be a caretaker um, or you spent a year traveling, right? Like rather than draw attention to that or kind of apologize for it, right? We're not aiming to apologize for those decisions. What we're aiming to do is transparently put a one-liner embedded next to all of the other ways that you're actionably uh, showcasing your talents and skills so that it's a seamless narrative about just all of the things that you've been up to. Does that answer that question, Katie? Or is there some more clarity needed? Yeah, that's great. Thank you. And we can continue to move forward. Um, how do you interface internally with sources of insecurity and shame and reclaim them and integrate them as pieces of who you are? Yeah, so this is the real work, right? Um, I, I love this question when I saw it because so many of us in moments of transition are trying to do the tactical things. We're trying to edit our, re our resume. We're trying to fix our LinkedIn. We're trying to show up for ourselves in this moment. And the reality is that that monster in your head is probably talking double time, being like, you're not ready for this. You're not good enough for this. You don't know everything that the other people you're up against know. Um, and I, I always call that voice in my head out um, because try as we might to do the self-work, it's somehow always going to be there, right? So giving ourselves permission to have that voice, accept that voice, love on that voice a little and make space for it is the first step, right? Like this idea that we're not going to wrestle with it. We're not going to get mad at ourselves every time it creeps in. We're going to accept that it's there. It's part of us. Um, and there are so many reasons it might've arrived, right? Whether it's from prior experiences or things we heard from uh, adults in our lives growing up or messages that we've received about who we are uh, that we somehow internalized, right? they might show up to this conversation about our next job pivot. Um, but to the question about reclaiming them and owning them, I think there's this idea that we're on a timeline that we have to do it now. Otherwise they're going to see through us, right? Like if we show up to this job interview, they're going to smell the insecurity right on us. Um, and to some extent we're right, right? Like if we're carrying around fresh pain and we're carrying around the hurt of being laid off um, or we feel betrayed, by the last boss who uh, did the last shady thing that 
you know, put us out of work. Um, those stories and those narratives are rolling all the time. And so the first thing I'll say is if it's possible to take time, right? Like knowing that we have bills to pay and, and reasons to get back there, giving yourself unapologetically a little bit of time to remember who you were uh, and who you still are underneath all of this is that first moment of pause. Um, the first thing I like to do is something that reminds me of who I am. So I transparently went through an eight month uh, transition prior to COVID and that was a really humbling experience, right? That was something that I found myself wondering, can I tell anyone about this? Um, I'm ashamed of how long I've been out of work. Um, will they even believe that I'm the professional that I know I am at this point? Um, all of those things are kind of like an ongoing reel. And the, the way that I started to find my way back was asking, what makes you feel like yourself? What do you do really well in the absence of a title? And for me, that was writing. Um, I had loved it since I was little. I loved it in my professional life. Uh, so I wrote a children's book. And I sat down every day and I worked on it. And with each page that went down on paper, I started to remember who I was, what I'm good at. Um, and it wasn't for anyone else but me. And so little parts of me started coming back. I started to, to realize that even if the next interview doesn't see it, and even if the person who you know is a gatekeeper and a recruiter who will never even see past the 15 minutes that I'm on the phone with them, I still have these things. And that when I know they're there, I can fight for them harder. And so that's where that, that piece comes in of reclamation, right? What are the things that are yours to have, to hold, to keep, regardless of what other people think? Um, and when you know what those things are, you start to show up more as your whole self. And so my number one recommendation is to do the things that remind you of who you are, even in the absence of a title. That can happen through volunteering. It can happen through um, getting on Fiverr or Upwork. Um, make yourself useful to yourself. Uh, when you are useful for you, then other people start to get jealous. They're like, oh my goodness, like she's enough for her. Like, let me get close to that. I always compare these things to dating where it's like that double tap, all of a sudden you're contagious. The minute one person is like, oh, well, like they're worthwhile and everyone else is lining up around the block, but believing it ourselves is the hard part. So to the point of this question, it's okay to feel shame. It's okay uh, for us to feel insecure. We can't force that stuff out and we can't set a timeline. Like I should be over this by Thursday. Like, hey, I need to be on this by Thursday, right? Absolutely not. We, we have to give ourselves what we need um, and know that we can still be back in the game even before we're totally healed, right? Like I would claim that none of us are ever 100% totally healed. We're never 100% totally there. We're always uh, a work in progress for ourselves. And so you can do uh, those tactical things in one hand and then continue to prove to yourself your own worth day in and day out while it goes uh, through that process. Thank you so much. We have some questions. Um, well, we're gonna go on this one question, but we have some questions regarding how do you actually write about the gaps in the resume, but I think we'll, we will cover it along the way. So um, here we have, I am looking for a job while I'm pursuing my passion. How can I be authentic when looking for this in-between job? Absolutely. So 
One thing that I'll say is that uh, I have a strong point of view when it comes to pursuing our passions. The, the future of work is changing. Um, I'm sure folks are thinking a lot about the hustle economy, uh, what it means uh, to have two lanes at all times. So when I'm working with clients and, and talking with companies, I, I recommend that we always think about ourselves as having two lanes 100% of the time. So there's who we are as a professional and an employee and what we have to offer and bring to the company we're with at any given time. And then there's who we are as a person, uh, what it is that we'll, we would be doing anyway, even if we weren't in seat somewhere and how we're nurturing and growing that skill set, uh, either through hobbies, through side hustles, through passion projects, through volunteering, whatever that looks like, that lane can and should be in operation in full effect 100% of the time. Um, I think historically, a lot of us have been conditioned to believe that when we have a seat, we're in role, we uh, we are married to or belong to our company somehow. Um, and that that produces this overarching commitment of self where we leave very, very little room left for us when we're there. We become invested in their mission. We live and breathe their purpose. We take on their values to the point that if someone paused and asked me, I would have said, oh, I'm this. And I'd actually be answering with the mission of the company I was working for at that given time. And so if you are someone who finds yourself in this position where in the absence of a role, you're like, who am I, right? Like, who am I without this title? Am I anything? It's not strange because we've been conditioned to believe that we should take on that much responsibility for the role that we hold. And so um, what I would say is building a strategy that allots some time in each lane is going to be really useful. So I might allocate a percentage of my week uh, to job searching that is specific to finding the role that I am in the market for, um, and then allocating a percentage of my time that makes sense for me, right? Like this could be 30%, it could be 50%. If your long-term goal is actually to take it as a full-time goal and you'd like to start your own business, then you might work towards a higher percentage of time that you put into that lane. But ultimately, it's an accountability piece for us to say, I am holding myself accountable to my whole self um, and maintaining a commitment to that regardless of if I'm in seat or not. Um, and that could even look like things like personal development for myself, right? Like time that I'm allocating weekly to read or weekly to listen to the podcasts that I'm interested in that fuel my fire um, in this specialty lane that I'm developing for myself, because that specialty lane will also serve you professionally uh, when you're able to articulate what your value add is, and it can intersect with your professional brand. And so what I would recommend really here is think really long and hard about the thing that makes you, you that you bring to the table in both your personal and professional spaces, because this is gonna be the core of your authentic brand. That's the thing that you're going to allot the most time to. And it's the thing that's gonna give you the spirit of expertise that you are aiming to bring to your workplace long-term anyway. Um, so, so that's a, a place to start. Um, and then tactically, I would say, decide for yourself what you're willing to have as non-negotiables. I'll share an example. When I was side hustling uh, and also pursuing a in-seat role, right? Health insurance is real. I was like, oh, hell no, I can't freelance without insurance. Like, this is scary. So I want to be full-time in-seat, but I still want to have my passion project. 
what that looked like for me was seeking a role where I wasn't signing a non-compete, right? Like what are the non-negotiables? Because if the company says anything that you're developing while you're here belongs to us, even if you're doing it in your own time, right? Like how is that something that you could retroactively back out of, right? So if you're intersecting hustle has a place to live in complement with the full-time role that you're looking for. Transparency is ideal because that future employer might actually embrace what you're offering, right? Like you can negotiate into your contract. Like I'm actually looking for a 70% in-seat role with a 20%, you know, side hustle. And there are more folks negotiating this type of a setup now than ever before. Um, I think what doesn't work is when you keep it a secret and then your boss perceives you to be spending more time on it than you are in seat and you start to show up on LinkedIn talking about your hustle and they're like, wait, what you're supposed to be doing X, right? So deciding for yourself what your point of view is, where you stand right now, reserving the right to change, right? Cause you might change plans or, or change or shift your set of goals, but decide in advance of this application process, what you want to be, uh, outwardly negotiating for, uh, and then drive your strategy that way. Beautiful. I feel like I've heard some, someone tell me that they, um, were just, they had the conflict within, but then they ended up deciding to tell their bosses about it. And then they ended up creating a very good relationship where then she could continue to grow her own business. And she also then got contracts from her boss for the projects that they didn't want to take on. So yeah, so sometimes it works. Absolutely. Yeah, so this one is a bit about um, LinkedIn um, and what, I, what I'm currently doing. So I'm, I've been struggling with the transitional verbiage to use to describe what I am currently doing on my resume. I just recently pivoted into seeking a position in tech innovation, simultaneously embarking on the development of my first startup SaaS and not sure how this all looks. So similar to a little bit similar to the last question. Yeah, super um, overlapping in terms of the advice I might provide here. Um, thinking a lot about first congratulating you on this bold move for you. Uh, I think anytime you're, you're starting something of your own, there's uh, this push and pull of de defining yourself, defining your brand, defining what you stand for, and really trying to have a point of view. And so I think that's what lies underneath this question is like, if I don't know what I'm doing or articulating what I'm doing, how am I going to explain it to other people? And so I always say, take your time here. Don't rush it. Um, when you are seemingly working across different industries or where people can't understand that transition, I always say dot the line back to what is true in both areas, right? So what was true um, for you before that is still true for you now that you can lead with as the center connecting piece, right? So if you're always uh, sort of the strategic problem solver at the intersection of SAS um, and engineering or whatever the case may be, use that as what drives the conversation so that people can get an access point, right? People get confused when we ping pong between things that they perceive as totally different. So start with the part that they can recognize, and that's going to be the center of your verbiage, right? So the part that you want to define in your LinkedIn 
is in your about section, who am I always? What is true of me professionally, regardless of my setting? And then I can articulate in a few extra bullet points what that looks like before, what it looks like now, and what it looks like at the intersection. That way you're kind of covering all bases. I like to think of our LinkedIn space as the least common denominator. I'm not and never was good at math, but the idea being that, you know, if you can figure out what lives in all of your spaces and use your LinkedIn as that centering force, your resume and your portfolio and some of those other materials that you might be sharing out can take on more specific lenses, but your LinkedIn can be the centering place um, of least common denominator that helps anyone who's interfacing with you understand what you're about um, so that you can decide the percentage that you would like to lead with or kind of follow with this new startup idea um, that you're going into because it really depends on the stage, right? If you're going to be fully invested, you might be ready to talk about it openly, freely with big, bold letters. Whereas if it's something you're developing, it's something you want more time, you're doing some more um, landscape research, perhaps you want that for you for a little while longer. And that's the part of authenticity I really want to double tap here, which is that being authentic doesn't mean that we're sharing 100% of ourselves 100% of the time full steam. I think there's an interpretation that that is what it means to be authentic. Uh, whereas I would argue authenticity looks like being true to who we are in the moment that we're in, reserving the right to share what it is that people need to hear and keeping for ourselves the part that is important for us. Because there is this right to decision-making that we all have about how and when to share when we're ready uh, and when it's a reflection of the current brand that we have. Um, over the course of a career, our story might change. Those of you who share the nonlinear nature of a career, I could say I'm a teacher. I could say I'm a, you know, leadership development trainer in corporate. I could say I work in policy and practice in the Department of Education, right? There are so many different titles or boxes I could have put in my brand, but I choose to lead with the fact that I see myself first and foremost as a communicator and strategic thinker who helps people work across lines of difference. And that's going to be true no matter what bucket I'm working in. And so that's the big invitation here is decide what that is for you and then start to lead with that, whether you're talking about your startup or talking about what you're currently up to as freelance um, or talking about that as um, working for yourself. You can decide how that lives on your resume. Uh, but if it is your top entry, as I imagine it is, you really want to customize those bullet points on your resume for the particular jobs you're going for, but leave it a little bit more in that least common denominator space on LinkedIn. So for, okay, do resumes have to be organized by date? Since I have many talents and have worked in different fields, I would prefer to organize by skill and talent. So um, this one, I would recognize the preference and wholeheartedly sort of see why you might want to do this. The red flag that I raised goes back to one of the questions I saw popping into the chat and that relates to ATS systems. So uh, as you know, when we're submitting our resumes, 
online as most of us have to, even when we are putting it through a mutual contact, um, there are some limitations in how that software is able to read the text that we submit. And so for two reasons, I would say, consider the fact that recruiters are trained to see red flags, right? Like recruiters are looking to see that resumes look typical. And so I always encourage folks to do the sequential order, but prioritize the customization of their bullet points so that it showcases your talents and your skills more meaningfully. Uh, but I don't encourage folks to use uh, an alternate format because it has that reverse effect where people poke harder at them. They look harder and wonder why did they choose to do it this way? How come it's not in the format I'm used to seeing? Can I uh, kind of look at this with an extra set of eyes? And similarly, the ATS system may not read the format as well. Um, it's particularly like unable to read multiple columns. So if you have more than one column, which happens often when people choose to organize by skill or talent, um, it makes it more difficult to pass through some of these systems. And so I would just double down on being very clear about your skills and talents as keywords um, and highlighting those meaningfully within the context and framing of the sequential order uh, and addressing any other concerns that you have about perhaps the nonlinear nature of your story just by being strategic uh, and including those sort of targeted bullet points I mentioned earlier. Okay. And I love uh, the comment in here about the through line. Absolutely. I think that is 100% uh, where I was going with that common denominator piece. <laughs> yeah. So I got a question uh, in my message and it's regarding wanting to stay in the current role full-time, I think, and while building a business outside, and then how do you brand yourself? So maybe it kind of ties into how do you embody your personal brand when you work for a company as well? Totally. Um, and I've done this myself, so I'm happy to share the pros and cons, right? Like, number one, when you're actively building your brand, uh, people notice. So expect that if you're doing it well, your boss is going to be like, Hey, like, what are you up to over there? You know, like I've noticed you've been, you know, posting regularly and I've noticed that people have started following. Right. Um, so don't be afraid to attract that attention. Right. I think there was a time where I really dimmed my light and really like was overly scared and, you know, too hesitant to build that personal brand for fear of catching too much. Um, and, what I'll say is that you can do this in a way that is aligned uh, with your company so long as you work somewhere where the values are uh, at least a mirror image of what it is that you stand for personally. This may be more of a conflict if the place that you work for um, is outwardly uh, in conflict with what it is that you stand for and believe in with your personal brand. So I think it, it comes with some hard decisions in that area. So caveat being that so long as they are somewhat adjacent to one another, you can build that brand comfortably uh, by changing things like your LinkedIn banner uh, to reflect that sort of central um, key component of what it is that you stand for in your values, your morals, what's underneath your side hustle, right? So find that kind of motivation and, and 
let that lead in your branding so that that can be the way that you start to show up in thought leadership uh, in places like LinkedIn, online, in any other sort of side uh, gigs that you might take on. I think knowing what you stand for and then having that out there um, only on the topics that you consider yourself an expert in is where it really starts, right? So deciding what you want to talk about consistently um, because it fits within the realm of what it is that you consider yourself a thought leader in. And I hate using that term because I was like, thought leader, like who wants to be a thought leader? Like it sounds super uh, corny for some of us. And I'm like, I'll never be a thought leader. Like I will look up to thought leaders, right? But as you start to show up for yourself and your brand and you're talking about the things you care about, people organically start to come to you for the things that you care about. And so when you see it that way and you're looking at your brand as a living embodiment of the things that you care about, then you can do so with less hesitation, less fear, um, with less of that dimmed light that we were talking about, because you suddenly feel much more authentic. You're like, oh yeah, I'm talking about the things I'm good at. I'm talking about the things I care about, and I'm doing it in ways that help me to connect with other people who could either benefit from what I have to offer or our thought partners who I can collaborate with and continue to uh, grow my scope of partnership or influence because of those connections that emerge. So kind of a long-winded answer, but certainly uh, happy to talk about any of this with anyone who is really exploring this. I have two unrelated master degrees. I know how they fit together, but it's too long to explain in a resume or cover letter. Should I leave one out of the picture? But if I do, I will be leaving out a main part of my story. Um, and then also maybe connected to that, I have worked in a faith-based institution for many years. I wonder about the challenge shifting to a progressive organization. So what I love about these questions, it kind of dots back to this idea of like dimming our light or uh, having to hide parts of ourselves to win favor or to get in somewhere. Um, and the way that I interpret this is that we get to see ourselves as the final decision maker here. Um, and you're not being inauthentic when you decide to lead with one thing more than another to gain access to a space that you will benefit from, right? So if your goal is to get into a company uh, that is somehow, you know, not going to recognize a part of your story or part of your education, um, my partner does not have his bachelor's degree and finds that, you know, that's something that consistently comes up where he's like, do I have to explain this to everyone? I'm not ashamed of it. Like I chose this route for myself and it's not something I'm ashamed of, right? So the thing that lives underneath all of this is if we're leaving it out because we're feeling ashamed or because we're feeling pressured to say what someone's looking for, that's going to come through in the messaging when we're interviewing and when we're showing up for these things. But if we're strategically leaving things out, owning our brand and deciding what they need to hear so that we can get into that space and lead with our own brand there. Um, that's a decision that I think every person has the right to make a call on. Uh, so when I go back to the strategic customization of a resume, I'll use an example um, in becoming sort of a professional trainer in corporate. I went through a period where I felt apologetic about working with kids. Like I started my career with young people. And every time I interviewed, they're like, you worked with young people, you're not qualified to work with adults. 
And in my heart of hearts, I'm like, do you even know what it's like to work with young people? They're way harder than adults. Like if you can get by and, you know, seven hours in front of them, you can train anyone. But, you know, to your point about knowing the through line and knowing how your masters connect, if someone else isn't going to understand that, what's the thing that they can understand? And in that case, what they could get was differentiation and customization. That's something that I had to do working with young people. And it's something that adults need in their training. And so that's something that moves to the front. So I'm going to highlight customization and differentiation as the piece that they can understand. And that becomes central to the narrative for landing that next role. Um, so in this case, if the masters are showing up to present to you a challenge in your interviews, choose the piece that they're going to understand at the intersection of the two of them and make that your philosophy or your thesis for how you talk about yourself when you're introducing yourself in these interviews. So when you say, they say, tell me about yourself, the thesis statement now becomes the intersection of those two things. And you don't have to go into detail. As you said, it gets too long or too winded for them to really understand, but choose that piece that resonates like differentiation and customization, and then go from there. So I don't have the specifics on this particular use case, um, but for someone who's leaving a faith-based organization and wants to get into a progressive org, right? Here underneath that, like, I'm not sure how they're gonna receive my take on my experience in a faith-based organization. Like, what if they have something against faith-based work? Um, should I not lead with that because they might judge me and they won't invite me into this progressive space that I wanna be part of? What I might say is what's underneath how you performed at that faith-based organization that is something critical to progressive work at the new institution you'd like to go to. Start there and then double back to the data for how you showed that in your last organization, highlighting it and being unafraid to note that it actually was a faith-based organization, but that what you took from there is deeply applicable. Um, and so Part of it is just being willing to be rejected for someone else's misinformation if they can't get there with us, right? Like if they can't get there with us, then they might not be the place we want to work. Uh, it's hard to hear and say when we're feeling a lot of pressure right now to get paid. Uh, but at the same time, like I can't tell how many folks I've worked with where we I've said, I know you're not going to want to be there. I know you're going to want to get out of this. You can take it and still do it. Promise me you're going to keep looking. Right. And that's what I would say to anyone. If you're finding yourself stuck, you're trapped and you really need to pay the bills and you're taking on a role that, you know, is not in alignment. Don't give up on what's next, right? Like keep pursuing that personal brand, keep pursuing your non-negotiables and, and fight for the chance to be somewhere where you get to full, fully show up um, and where you're not apologizing for a part of your brand. And Kels said, amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Can you address telling your story when you worked in three different sectors and now you are mid-career and would like to make a leap again back into one of those previous sectors? Sure. So my biggest recommendation is that underneath this question is, are the people going to perceive me as a hopper and how can I alleviate their misconception of me, right? So always identify the misinterpretation that the person on the other side is going to have of your brand and of you. Um, I always say, if, you, if we can anticipate them, we can get ahead of the message. 
And so in this case, what I would really want to be clear on and I encourage everyone to use a professional summary. I know that guidance counselors of years past say, use it, don't use it, use it, don't use it. I endorse professional summaries at the top of your resume to get ahead of this very problem. Prime the reader to understand you the way you want to be understood. And so in this case, I'm not going to apologize for going between government, academia, and private sector and you know, start from a place of, you might not get this, but here's how, right? throw all that language out and get in front of it in that professional summary that says, with experience across the public and private sectors, I am passionate about doing X now, and here's what prepares me for it, right? So you are sort of circumventing the questions by showing them how to think of you with an outline in that summary at the top of your resume. And then you can use that version of talking points when you're getting in front of people networking, when you're getting onto lunch club or uh, other social settings where you're meeting people, use that as a way um, to practice your narrative about what you're standing for right now, what you have to offer as a result of all of your prior experience and keep it thematic. Um, I think when you get in the weeds and start to tell the story of each thing on the path, that's where we feel like, oh gosh, I'm talking too long or oh gosh, like these people don't get it. Um, start with the themes, lay it out in a funnel and then narrow down to the specific. So starting right at that top there across the board in all of your roles, you've been a leader in X, you continue to bring that to the table and you wanna do so in a role Y. Um, and that's exactly how you, you could sort of come up against this moment where you know, folks may be interpreting you as someone who, who hasn't had a point of view when in fact you do, you just tried out a bunch of different places before you decided where you want to be. What's the biggest mistake you see people make when discussing their nonlinear path? I, we've touched on this a little bit throughout, but I think it's our instinct to apologize. Um, our apology for our story. Uh, I think a lot of us kind of come to the table and we're ready for that question of like, who's going to poke a hole in me now? Who's going to question what it is that I stand for? And, you know, not without merit, we've been through it enough times to know that that's what's coming. And so, you know, try trying our best to do that work we talked about earlier of owning that the world has taught us how to feel beat down. <laughs> like it's taught us how to feel like our story isn't linear. It's not right. We did something the wrong way out of order and throw it out the window. Um, I'm not sure if swearing offends folks, but it makes me feel good. And so I wrote an article last week um, where I find myself saying, why the fuck not, right? Like why the fuck not put the version of me out there and do it unapologetically in a way that they can pick up or they could put down, but at least if they pick it up, they're gonna get a really, really successful version of me. Um, and so when you are approaching this interview process, the application process, there's gonna be so much sort of rejection. It's just built in. Um, and so why the fuck not apply again? Why the fuck not be myself in this cover letter? <laughs> Why the fuck not just show up 100% committed to my story because I can and you can miss out if you don't embrace it. And so there are, there are going to be employers who rise to this occasion. And if they don't, then maybe we can build a world where they do soon. But it's just um, 
it's, it's tiring to see people who deserve the roles the most dimming their light um, and showing up how they want people to receive them instead of how they deserve to be received. And so if there's one thing that any of us take away from today is like, don't apologize for your story. Your story is your own. It has taught you everything you've needed to know to get to this point. And it has prepared you more ways than one for what you're about to do next. And so if you can answer that question for people about how everything you've done so far prepares you to be where you are right now, you are ahead of the game uh, in getting to that narrative first. So beat them to the punch every chance you get. I say, just beat them to the punch uh, and do it unapologetically. And that just comes through in the little, the little messaging, right? I see it in demeanor. I see it in the way we show up and I fight this every single day. So let me not be the person sitting here in front of you being like, I got this figured out because as a new entrepreneur, most days I feel like I should apologize for trying something scary or not having enough contracts yet or all of those things. Right. So I think being honest and fair with ourselves, that this is a daily struggle and it's okay if we suck at it some days and other days we just get back up swinging. Um, that's, that's really all we can do. I think. We have a lot of great um, resonance in the chat. So just wanted to let you know um, you're, it was just really awesome and impactful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, examples of some of the most non-linear stories you've heard that have successfully helped help land top roles. Yeah, so um, one of the big ones lately, um, so I have to protect identities, but a gentleman I worked with um, was really like unapologetic about wanting to work with his hands. He felt like there was like not a, a lot of respect for people who work in trades where you were getting your hands dirty, he came out of tech and had been surrounded by people who were just like, what, you know, I don't get what you're looking for. Um, he persisted and like was looking for a role where he could actively be building on the day to day. Um, and he landed a role where they just designed the like, and pardon me, I don't understand this industry, but it's the, uh, the freezer where they store the vaccines that are, you know, prepared by Pfizer. So he played a huge role uh, in starting to create the things that rolls out what is now potentially going to help our nation uh, sort of combat COVID-19. And so I see that as a really good example of someone who to other people were like, why are you doing this? Like most people are coveting jobs in tech right now. You should be sticking to that and going down that path further. He rejected it and said, no, like this is important to me. This is what I stand for. I'm going to go this route, um, even if it's unsexy to you. And he landed a job that he loves and is feeling the impact of that. Cause I think it aligned more with his personal values, something that he really wanted to contribute to long-term. And so that would be an example of a major, uh, now even more nonlinear story. Um, I would say I have a passion for educators, having been one myself, uh, folks who have worked as classroom teachers um, and wanted to do work um, that use their gifts and their talents uh, that they brought to classroom work and have found ways to pivot into um, like customer success in tech uh, and community. Uh, they're helping to build some of the uh, 
processes and uh, onboarding stakeholder mapping activities that are happening in some of uh, the companies in tech right now it was a really hard battle. I think it's an uphill battle for folks to make it out of the classroom and help people understand what they're great at. Um, but it's been really cool to see some of those folks stay resolute in their commitment to doing something that they know they're capable of and that they're great for and the right fit, even if other people couldn't see it at first. Um, those are some of the big ones. How do you feel your take on diversity has shaped the work you have done in your community and the positions you have held? Um, in every way, shape and form. Um, when I started my professional career teaching, I worked with fourth and fifth graders who conveyed very clearly that decisions were made on their behalf and they were never consulted, right? Like our system was built to make decisions on behalf of young people about how they'll learn, where they're learning, what materials they have access to, and no one ever asked what they needed. And that really uh, sort of launched my commitment to building inclusive processes for decision-making, that it happens for students, it happens for adults, workplaces make decisions about how employees should go through the most critical parts of their day without ever asking what people need. And so that is my life's work. It's in finding ways to make space at tables where decisions are getting made so that the people who are most deeply and profoundly affected by those choices have a say in what that is. And so um, my mission now is to partner with people and companies to explore what that looks like. Because uh, I think inclusion takes on a lot of different pieces, right down to how that meeting is set up. <laughs> Zoom has in some ways made it even more evident that people are being talked at and not with. And so that's definitely the focus here is like, how do we design more ways to talk with people um, and not on behalf of others or at people um, where decisions are being made. So that I would say is the through line. Uh, as, as folks said there, uh, it continues to be a motivating piece. Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, there was also a question earlier about like explaining kind of personal scenarios in the gaps, like how do you do that? And I, so this one is a little bit long, but it's about, um, you know, being truthful is the best safe safest option, but um, employers want and expect potential to not be flawed. And in, discuss, in discussion or interview, how would you encourage candidates um, to address situation of wrongful termination, professional injustices? And, and then like someone else expressed um, earlier, I think it was Kristen that, you know, she was taking, she was being a caretaker. So how does she like talk about that or not where she had to take a break? And, and bring that in and being honest about that or not? And how do you handle this? So I see it as two very different pieces. I think when something is like a caretaking piece, it's a one-liner. Very clearly in your resume, one year caretaking, uh, January, 2017 to February, 2018, right? Like it's a one-liner that you can speak to in person, um, but it it's, 
from that place of, I chose it. It's something that is part of my story, not from a place of like, well, I had to do this because, you know, this happened. And, you know, truly that was 2014 for me. My cousin was uh, ill with cancer. I left teaching to take care of her. And that is something that is part of a map that is very much pertinent to who I am as a professional now. Um, and that's going to get talked about in an interview if it comes up, but when it comes to this top question, um, and it says, you know, being truthful about, you know, I, I need a little bit more context to answer this question really well. So if you are the person asking it, please feel free to, uh, chat me and we can talk through it specifically. What I would note though, is that, um, when you're talking about wrongful termination, that is something that we're holding a lot of anger about because it was so traumatic on our end, right? Like where something has happened, it feels wrong not to bring it up um, to justify why something happened the way that it did in our professional career path. And yet to your point about, you know, not wanting to be off-putting or not being palatable to the employer. I would say less is more in this case. Um, we don't know who we're dealing with yet. Uh, and that's the unfortunate nature of interview processes, right? Like we don't know if that person is trustworthy. We don't know if that data is safe. We don't know if that information is um, gonna be used against us. And so I always encourage folks to see self-protection as your number one priority, right? Like only sharing what is vital so that other people don't have access to the details of our lives that aren't critical to them. If it, that is not the case and it's something they absolutely need to know, um, then you might want to pursue a more strategic opportunity to share where it's outside of their evaluation of you um, so that it can happen as a means to information share and not to give someone the opportunity to misinterpret or um, misdiagnose our interest in working there um, so that you have the upper hand either way. Um, I really encourage women to advocate uh, for yourself first and worry less about what they need to know, have to know. You're not required by law, right, to divulge anything. I mean, when it comes to like checking a box on an application if we've been incarcerated, like, yes, we might need to do that. Um, but when it comes down to sharing the depths of our sort of past pain or things that we've been put through, like, I think you get to make a call um, on that and that you have every right to keep for yourself um, without feeling compelled to give everything. Um, and if they're asking too much, then it might be a red flag too about the, the kind of company that they are. So uh, short, answer maybe out of context and also open to to riffing with someone if you want to talk more about that topic yeah with the caregiving piece i got a little more information as far as um maybe like she wants to um sort of explain that sort of in the gap put in that she did freelance work mm -hmm. and um and would that be good to to include and um how, how can she explain that? Yes, so absolutely. Whenever she doesn't want to explain the caregiving piece too much. Yes, yeah. yeah. so you can always use freelance as the answer, right? So that can be an entry of itself. Um, 
to account for that time period. And then your bullet points can reflect the projects or um, internship work or outcomes that were delivered during that time. I always encourage us to dig deep. There's more there than we give ourselves credit for. So find every deliverable that you had um, so that you're able to take advantage of every one of those uh, outcomes and where there's a metric included, right? So if you completed four freelance projects focused on X, then delivered Y by the time that you returned to being in seat the following year or whatever the case may be, right? So focus on the work, anything that you can put on paper that quantifies what occurred as a result of your labor is going to be the answer. Um, the thing I always say to folks when they're struggling with their resume is when you're done reading each entry, could someone say that place was different because you were there? Like if your bullet points say, that much about you, then your resume is compelling. If you have to read deeper and be like, anyone could have done this, it, the place could be the exact same as it was when I left as when I came, then you might want to get your bullet points a little punchier. So how about, how about in the interview? What, what would, what is the recommendation for during the interview? What to say about so, it, it comes down to comfort level, right? So if, if this person isn't comfortable sharing that they were caretaking during this period, then talking 100% about freelance is absolutely fine, right? So talk through the projects, talk through the outcomes, talk through how they lend themselves, the learning lends itself to doing the next thing that is part of the current job description that they're going out for. Um, so always connect the dots for the person on the other end of the conversation. Anything that you can say to, again, help them see why you can do what you used to do in the context of this new environment is going to help you land that role. I, yeah, we're almost wrapping up. Um, we only have a few minutes left. Maybe this is a great question to finish off. How do you boost your confidence and express your values and your life experience? Absolutely. So how do you boost your confidence? How do you express your values in life experience? Two questions in one, it feels like. Um, and I think the life experience piece really resonates because there are very few people to tap us on our shoulder and say like, you're doing a damn good job. Like you are hustling. You are, you got up today. Like I, I have managed chronic illness and getting out of bed is a fucking victory part of my language. So, you know, getting up and going is a big deal. And so I am all about rewarding ourselves for the little wins, like give yourself a shout out for each thing that you do. That means you are going to keep going. Um, the, the backstory of my organization title, stubborn heart, comes from a time where I was recovering in the hospital after uh, what was a life-threatening situation. A friend gave me this quote and it said, never give up no matter how much you want to. The universe always falls in love with a stubborn heart. And what I like about that is that we don't have to enjoy it. We don't have to feel good about it. There are certainly days when I didn't want to keep going some days I still don't. And yet that stubbornness that's in us that says, you know what, like today is not the day I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep bending, even if I break. Um, and that's the confidence, right? Like, I think that's the confidence in us 
that, you know, it's not that we love the way we look every minute of every day. It's not the way that we're like touting, you know, that we're the best, but it's that confidence in our own resolve. When I feel my least confident, I'm like, Stacy, you got up and you kept fighting today. And for that reason, you deserve to be where you are. Um, and if you can do that for yourself, you can validate everything that you fought for to get you to this moment. You can validate everything that you fought for to, to get to this next step in your journey, then the confidence follows. I think that's the part that I continue to explore, continue to challenge. Um, none of us have arrived again, like confidence is a journey, but the parts of you that you are proud of keep double tapping it, like keep touching on that and telling yourself you're worth it just because you are you. Um, and you deserve the success that you will get because you are you. Um, so uniquely tied to the life experience piece, you have to believe it was worth it. I have to believe that, you know, spending time as a caretaker taught me a lot about who I am. Spending time recovering has made me a better professional, right? Being uh, through hardship made me a better coworker. What are those things? And then how do you keep pushing? Um, because you deserve what's on the other side of this. And that's the part that, you know, you've gotten the confidence when you believe it, that you deserve it. You're like, shit, I did it. Like I have got confidence now because I believe that I deserve what's coming my way. Um, and good days and bad days. <laughs> so we'll, we'll push on. Um, but thank you all so much for sharing this time with me. Um, I popped a spreadsheet early on in the chat. If folks want to continue to network with each other um, and me, I'd love to continue to, to get to know all of you. Um, and learn more about everybody's journey. So if we can share that again, that would be amazing. Um, and maybe, yeah. maybe direct us. Uh, so I am so grateful to be and honored to be here with everyone in the room and with you, Stacy. You are just super awesome and everyone wants to be your friend now. So <laughs> hopefully- Let's do it. I'm in the market for friends. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, Power to Fly is super, super awesome as well. They have a, a library of videos with a lot of amazing things on it. They just did a sub diversity summit. So um, yeah, go check that out and connect with us. The conversation isn't over. Hopefully we can bring Stacey back and do another one and we can talk for three hours, to be honest. So yeah. <laughs> See you later. Yeah, talk, uh, message us, write to us, and uh, hope to see you all soon, and have a wonderful day. Bye, everybody. And we'll be closing this uh, chat soon. So Paloma, I um I probably need your help to end it <laughs> or to um yeah.